We're going to be continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn to Luke chapter 7. Um, Jess will be reading verses 36 through 50. And please stand as we give honor to His Word. Luke 7, 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, saying to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, your word gives us promises such as that he who began a good work in you will complete it. Lord, we rest in those promises. And we can rest in those promises because of your son Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Because of that, we can have forgiveness of sin. So Lord, thank you that our sins are forgiven. And so Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that you would give faith to those who are doubting that you would give hope to those who are in despair, to give encouragement to those who are downcast, and to give joy to those who are dejected. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, go ahead and have a seat. How many of us in here have debts to pay? Raise your hand. Yep, yeah, pretty much everyone in here. We all have debts to pay. Monthly bills we got to pay. We got to pay mortgages. Maybe some of you got to pay school loans. Some of you got to pay credit card payments, medical bills, right? Let me ask you this question. Have you ever had a debt, a massive debt, just forgiven outright, no strings attached? Or maybe a friend or family member pay it for you? A handful of years ago, probably about 10 years ago, uh, our son Stephen got really, really sick. He was about fifth or sixth grade. We, we didn't know what he was doing. He was just wilting before our eyes. And so we took him to the doctors and he was in the hospital, you know, staying overnight for about a week. They did exploratory surgery on him. And we're saying this is like 2013 to do an exploratory thir- surgery on him. because They couldn't figure out what it was. Finally, we got to Children's Hospital and they helped us out a little bit. They didn't never figure out what it was, but they found out what it wasn't and started to bring him back to health. As you can imagine, the medical bills for us were just shot out the roof. And then one day out of the blue, we just got a friend, uh, a call from a friend that said, hey, we want to take care of all your medical bills. And it was well over $10,000. 
And you can imagine when that debt, we saw that number, that five-digit number, go from a five-digit number to a zero number. When that monthly bill that was due was no longer. You can imagine the joy, the, the thankfulness, the gratitude that we had for our friends. With no strings attached. They just wanted to love us and they loved us well by doing that. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced a debt in your life taken care of? Forgiven with no strings attached? Do you remember what it was to have that weight lifted off of you? The freedom and the joy that you experienced that that was no longer there. That burden of that monthly payment was no longer there. Well, this morning, we are reminded through this story of this sinful, now saved woman that we, like her, every day should feel and express the freedom, the liberty, the joy, the love, the thankfulness of being freed from a massive debt that we cannot pay. The debt of sin. We know that sin is a much greater debt than a mortgage payment or school loans or medical bills. And that has been paid by Christ. But not only has it been paid by Christ, but that debt, the debt of sin, will never rule or reign over us again. It has been paid forever. There is no greater weight to be lifted than the weight of sin for you and me. Amen? This is what this story is going to tell us this morning. So this story is for all of us in here this morning to remind us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because your sin and my sin have been paid by the blood of Christ. And so let's look at the first point. First we see the response to forgiveness. The response to forgiveness in Luke 7, 36-40. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees, we know his name is Simon, not Simon the disciple, but the Pharisee Simon, asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, uh, Beck last week uh, explained the, host- uh, the hostility between Jesus and the Pharisees. If you look back a couple verses to look, Luke 7.34, it says the Pharisees labeled Jesus as what? A, a glutton, a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors. Early on in Mark's Gospel. When Jesus came on the scene, He was proclaiming the freedom of the captives, the Gospel. He's healing uh, sicknesses and diseases and casting out demons. He was upsetting the religious establishment and they conspired against Him to kill Him, to take Him out. They wanted nothing to do with Jesus because He was upsetting their way of life, their power, their control. And so there's hostility there. You see, Pharisees believed in religion, salvation by work, salvation by merit, that, that you had to earn your way to God by being a good person. And part of being a good person, earning that, was to be saved through segregation. To be saved by not associating or being around professional sinners like this woman, like Jesus. To be around drunkards and tax gatherers. So there's hostility here between Jesus and the Pharisees. So the question is, why would this Pharisee invite Jesus over for dinner? Why would he even invite him over for dinner? He sees him as the enemy. Why would he invite him over for dinner? Well, one, in that day, if a traveling rabbi came into the city, uh, those that that were at synagogue would host him and would, would, would give him a meal and provide, you know, his shelter and food. So that could be one reason. I, I think possibly the, the main reason is this Pharisee kind of wanted to get more clicks on his social media. Uh, because this 
this Pharisee, Jesus, was the hot topic in this portion in, in Galilee. He was the hot topic in Israel. He, his, his fame was spreading because of his, again, his ministry. And so he thought, man, I could have Jesus over and people would think I would be in touch. I would be hip. Now this meal would take place kind of in a courtyard of the Pharisee's home. Basically think front porch. This wasn't a private dinner. The Pharisee wanted to be front and center so people could actually walk by his house and see who he was eating with. And he would see people passing by, would see that he's eating with Jesus. So that's the first question. Why would the Pharisee have? But a, a second question, a better question is, why would Jesus go? Why would Jesus go to the enemy's house to have dinner? He knows what the Pharisees think about him. He knows what the Pharisees are trying to do with him. And yet he goes. Why? Well, here we do have a clear answer. He goes because of Luke 19.10. Jesus came to seek and save those that are lost. And it doesn't, mean, it doesn't matter if you are a, uh, an unrighteous sinner or a self-righteous Pharisee. Jesus is going to come and He's going to engage you. He's going to offer Himself to you. So that's why Jesus goes as an opportunity to share the Gospel with this self-righteous Pharisee. Now, they're there, they're at dinner, and all of a sudden there's a massive turn in events, Luke says. Look at verse 37. An uninvited guest shows up and he says, and behold, and look, have your gaze, turn your attention to this woman of the city who was a sinner. Now, we don't know exactly what her sin was, but most believe that she was the well-known prostitute in the city. But when she learned that He, Jesus, was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, very expensive, and standing behind Him at His feet, weeping, she began to wet His feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair. And then He kissed His feet and anointed them with ointment. So you guys can see the scene. I want you to really put yourself there. Now, when, when you're at a meal there, that don't think meal like we eat meals. There was not a table. They weren't sitting in chairs. What was happening is they would lie down. There would be a, ta- a table about six, six inches to a foot off the ground, and you would lie prone. You would lie with leaning on your left elbow while eating with your right, and your feet would be away from the table, and it would kind of create this circle. This is how the woman come and stand behind Jesus. So they're, they're laying down and enjoying this meal. Now, I don't know about you, but who, who would love to eat a meal like this? This sounds miserable to me, you know? It's like, man, if I'm enjoying a great steak, how, how, do, you, how do you cut and eat and, you know, and if you're left-handed and you're leaning on your right, you know, you're leaning on your left hand, now you're really screwed because you got, you know, you're, I don't know. I don't know. It sounds miserable. That's how I think sometimes when I read these things. Okay, anyways. Then the woman comes in. This woman comes in. Again, she's uninvited. And she's overwhelmed with emotion. She is sobbing. She is crying. This is not like a little whimper. This is like ugly tears kind of crying, right? And, and, and a falling on Jesus' feet. But these tears, the sobbing, they're not tears of sorrow. They're tears of joy. And we'll see why in a second. And then she wipes His feet with her hair. Now there's a bunch of no-nos going on here cultural things that should not be taking place. She is, she is breaking a ton of cultural norms. One, she's an uninvited guest. And she's a woman who's an uninvited guest. And not only a woman, but again, probably one of the most notorious city prostitutes 
walking into this Pharisee's house. This would never happen. Then this woman does something that women didn't do in the culture, is touch another man if it wasn't her husband. Obviously, Jesus was not her husband. And here she is touching and wiping Jesus' feet, which was a no-no, because now it was a woman should not touch a man, but a, a, a prostitute would never touch a holy man. Especially his feet. There's, there's, there's intimate connotations. Think about Ruth and Boaz back in the day. And then she does something that's even more mind-boggling. Even more against the norms. She let her hair down. She let her hair down in public. That would be kind of akin, some commentator said she took her shirt off. It's how, it's, it, it's, it, women letting their hair down in this context was that of intimacy only with her husband. In fact, the Talmud said that if a woman did that in public, that her husband had the right to divorce her. So this woman is breaking all kinds of cultural norms, not biblical norms, cultural standards. And you can hear the, just the, the shock and the, the, a pin drop in this dinner party. But the question is, why is she doing this? Why is she just, she's just going for it? Why is she seeking out Jesus? Remember, Jesus has been around preaching the Gospel, healing, casting out demons. Luke back, going back to Luke chapter 4, the mission to, to proclaim the Gospel to the poor, to proclaim the release of the captives. Most commentators think that she was in the crowd at a prior instance where Jesus was proclaiming the Gospel and she got saved. She got saved. And so when she heard that Jesus was at this dinner party, she wanted to run to Him and show her gratitude, her thankfulness, her love for her new Savior. She is overwhelmed with her newfound experience of redemption, of freedom, of forgiveness, of love. So she beelines it to the Pharisee's house. She crashes that dinner party. Again, she's sobbing, she's weeping. Martin Luther called these tears heart tears heart tears, because she was overwhelmed the transformation that took place in her heart. The love of Jesus, of the Gospel. She was a prisoner of her sin, and she was freed. And now, if you're a guest there, if I'm a guest there, and this is happening, it, it's, it's awkward real quick, right? You can, you can imagine the silence. It's like you're at a dinner party, you know, a holiday party, all of a sudden your crazy uncle comes in, and everyone's like, well, who invited him, Right? Or like you're standing in that elevator, right? You, the rule in elevators, don't talk in the elevator. And then you get that one dude that wants to come in and talk to everyone, right? The, the awkwardness of that's like, come on, get to my floor, get to my floor. They were like, uh, get out of here. Can we, can we go? Can we go? Can we go? Right? I probably would have been there like, where's the popcorn? This is just awesome, right? <laughs> this is great. Anyhow, it's awkward. And can you imagine what the Pharisee, the host, Simon, was thinking about? About this guest? We don't have to imagine because his thoughts are given to us in verse 39. Look at verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, not out loud, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Yep. He's a self-righteous Pharisee. You can hear his tone of condemnation, his tone of judgment and self-righteousness. You can, you, can, you can see it's like smugness that's going on as this woman 
is systematically showing her gratitude for Jesus. Crying, sees his feet get whipped, takes her hair, wipes them, kisses his feet, anoints them with oil. She's doing this over and over and over again. She's not stopping. And here is Simon the Pharisee judging this woman. But even more worse, he's judging Jesus. He's offended by what's going on in his own home. Again, which just reiterates in his mind and proves that Jesus is not a true prophet because he's letting this woman touch him. Well, Jesus reads his mind, literally, in verse 40. He gently gives Simon a parable of wisdom. Again, gently, at first. Jesus is reaching out to Simon to show him his need for forgiveness, that Simon has a debt that needs to be paid. And so what Jesus does here, I love how one says it, he says that Jesus parabled Simon. And that leads us to our second point, the assurance of forgiveness. Look at verse 41. A certain moneylender, here's the parable, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, that's about two years' salary, the other about 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them would love him more? Verse 43, Simon the Pharisee answered, the one, I suppose, you can even see the smugness in that, right? The one, I suppose, you can almost see him sigh in his self-righteousness. This is too easy. The one whom, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Again, Jesus says, Simon, you got it. You got it here, but you didn't get it here. You got it intellectually, but it didn't go down to your hard heart and soften it. Again, Jesus is trying to show Simon his sin, his debt that he has. He wasn't the 500 two-year denarii sinner. He was the, the 50 denarii sinner, but still a sinner nonetheless that needed the debt forgiven. And we know that this is the problem with self-righteousness. Self-righteousness when your person is self-righteous, they can't see clearly. Because they're constantly looking at other people below them and judging them. They're constantly looking to take out the speck of other people's eye. They're pointing the finger at everyone else and they don't realize they got three fingers pointing back at them because they got a massive plank in their eye. Simon swings and misses. And what his actions show, Jesus is going to point out, his actions show that they, he doesn't even love Jesus a little. He wants nothing to do with Jesus. Therefore, Jesus rebukes him and calls him out. And then Jesus turns his attention to the woman and gives her assurance. Look at verse 44. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Rhetorical question, of course. Like, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Jesus says to Simon, you are worried about this woman's sin, but you can't even execute being a gracious host. You are rude and you are disrespectful. You see, one of the first things that you would do if you had someone over for dinner is you would do these things for them. The first thing you do is you would maybe take off their sandals or have your servant take off their sandals and wash their feet because their feet are dirty. You would anoint their head with oil because it's hot out. You wanted to refresh them. 
These are the things that you would do. You would give them a kiss. That's a way of giving them a handshake. But Simon did none of these things. Just had Jesus come in and, and lay down and start eating. And so Jesus calls out his rudeness, his being disrespectful as to the invited guest. And the reason why here, again, we have this contrast between Simon and this woman. Simon came in as a religious sinner, and this woman came in as a repentant sinner. She put her faith in Jesus as we read in verse 50. She recognized her debt. She was the 500 denarii sinner. She recognized that she could not repay it, and so she trusted in who Jesus was, trusted in the message of the Gospel. And when she came to see Jesus, she came with a repentant heart. Simon came with a religious heart. Simon did not even love Jesus little to give Him some oil for His head, to clean His feet, or to give Him a handshake. So Jesus rebukes Simon, then he, con, then he now looks at the woman and he assures this woman of forgiveness. Again, she was the 500 denarii sinner that she could not repay. She was hopeless and helpless except for in the economy of God. Because in the economy of God, God is the money lender and He's a gracious money lender who's eager to forgive debts. Eager to forgive debts. Look at verse 47. Therefore I tell you, for her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. Now stop right now. She's not forgiven because she loved much. She's loving much because she's forgiven. It's a fruit. She's been transformed. She's heard the Gospel. She's been saved. She's been released. And now this is the action of a person that has been forgiven of her sin. They love. They love. If it meant that her love saved her, then the whole parable wouldn't make sense. So we know that that's not the case. She loved. Look, at, it goes on. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Verse 48, focus on this. And he said to her, think about this. Again, this scene, this situation. He turns his attention to her. He's looking at her. She sees him looking at her. They're looking at each other in their eyes. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Do you know what that would have done to her? She is a woman that every time she looked at a man's eyes, she saw lust. This might be the first time when she looked at a man's eyes, she saw love. She saw love. He had compassion on her. He loved her. He saw her as a child of God. And he said, your sins are forgiven. Imagine that. It would have sounded just like that. A pin could have dropped of what Jesus just said to this sinner. Jesus sees her, and He sees her as pure, clean, forgiven. He knows that her sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west. She was, her sins were red as scarlet, now she is white as snow. Can you imagine her response? No wonder she wanted to get to Jesus by any means necessary to bow down and worship Him and to thank Him. Well, this happens. Look at verse 49. All of a sudden, the scene, the scene shifts again. Then who those who were at the table with Him began to say among themselves, Who is this? Who is this that even forgives sins? 
And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love this. This is what Jesus does. Jesus takes the focus off of sinners and he puts them on himself. That's what happened here. The, the scene shifts from looking at this woman who was a sinner. Now she's saved. But the, the scene shifted for she's breaking all these cultural norms. That's not the big deal anymore. The big deal now is this man, this man, Jesus just forgave this woman's sins. How can that be? Who is this guy? He's the one that can, can forgive sins. He's the one that we've been studying over the last week. We've been answering this question, who is this Jesus, for the last three weeks. And we've seen that He is the one who has authority over sickness and death. He is the one that has authority over doubting prophets. He's the one that ultimately has authority over forgiving sins. And that's great news for you and me this morning. For everyone in this room. Jesus came to seek and save the lost back then, and He does the same today. He does the same this morning. He's done the same for you and me. He has come to this earth to set the captives free, to save sinners. He's come to save the unrighteous and the self-righteous, the prideful and the prostitutes, the alcoholics and the adulterers, the arrogant and the angry, the gossipers and the gluttons, those who lie and those who lust, those who are bitter and those who are boastful, the complainers, the conceited, the homosexuals and the hypocrites, the worry warts and the wicked. Did you see your name in any of those categories? The good news is He's came for you. Here's the great news about this. Here's the great news. God extends and offers the Gospel, His forgiveness, His grace, only to sinners. Do you know why that's good news for you and me this morning? Because all of us qualify. All of us qualify. For there are none righteous. For all fall short of the glory of God. Apart from Christ, we are all sinners in the same boat, needing our debts repaid, whether we're a, a professional sinner or not. It's good news for us this morning. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So if you're in here and you're, you're, you're not a Christian, you haven't bowed your knee to King Jesus, this is good news for you this morning. And we are glad you're here. We are glad you are here. We're not like the Pharisee. We welcome you. Because we understand that we were once in your position. If you haven't received Jesus' forgiveness, today is the day to have your debt of sin forgiven forever to have that bondage, to have that weight, to have that guilt, to have that condemnation removed from you. You no longer have to carry it. Jesus has carried it for you on the cross. That's why He went to the cross. And you might be saying that, yeah, but I don't know what, you don't know what I've done, Aaron. And you're right, I don't. But Jesus does. He sees you just as He saw this woman. He knows everything you've done. He sees you. And this is what He wants to say to you this morning. He's saying to you this morning, there's more grace and forgiveness than, in me than sin in you. Your, your, your sin may be loud, but Jesus' forgiveness is louder. And He's saying, come, receive through repentance and faith. Look to Me as your Savior, as your Lord. Look to Me as the One who lived the perfect life in your place. Who died on the cross for your sin who was buried and who rose three days later and now sits at the right hand of God orchestrating this world for His glory and your joy if you're in Him. Jesus says, come. 
He sees you. Doesn't matter what you've done. Repent and believe. There's more grace and forgiveness in Jesus than sin in you, friends. And that's good news for you. And for those of us that have repented and trusted in Christ, that have received this forgiveness in your life, then we need to continue to love much and forgive much. Love much and forgive much. And the reason why we can do this is because we know how much we have been loved and forgiven by Jesus. We are the greatest sinners that we know. And we know we've been forgiven from that burden. We have crossed the line from being seen as a sinner to now being seen as a saint. To be seen as an enemy of God and now we are sons and daughters of the King. So here's my desire for you as your pastor. That this church, which is made up of everyone in here, that this church would love much and forgive much. That people in the city of Fort Collins would think about the cross and be like, those people love people. They're the heart of Christ. They forgive. One of my favorite verses is Philippians 1, 9-11. through 11. It says this, and this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound in in real knowledge, in all discernment, so that for this purpose, that your love would abound more and more, that your love would grow, that it would, it would continue to abound more and more, and that we may approve what is excellent, not what is good, that we have the ability to say as, our, as we love and as we grow, not only can we see what is good, but we even see what is excellent. We don't settle for good. We want excellent. We can see excellent. And because of the love is growing us, we can have that, so to be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. See, one of the ways that we grow and abound in love is to remember what we've been forgiven of. To remember how much we have been forgiven and how much we still are forgiven. Because once we repent and trust in Christ, doesn't mean sin goes away and we never sin, right? But that's how big His grace and mercy is that our sin, past, present, and future, has all been dealt with, has all been paid for, yet we still can sin, and yet He says, forgiven, covered, not Guilty. The debt paid. Zero balance. Never forget where we come from. I, I, I love watching those stories of the you know, people that, have, that start out in humble beginnings and, they, and they're successful. Right? We all love those stories. Except sometimes the, those successful people forget where they've come from. right? And they'll never go back to their hometown and associate with those people. Screw those people. We love the people that recognize and always go back to their hometown and remember their humble beginnings. And that, that helps them remain humble throughout life. They remember where they came from. Same with us. We need to constantly be reminded of what Jesus has saved us from. I have in the front of my Bible. That's why, I mean, this Bible is all, all jacked up and I don't want to give it up because I have these, these sentences in here. And one of the sentences is in here, how can anyone be boastful or prideful when you're standing next to the cross? Think about that every day. It reminds me of what Jesus has done for me. It's a way of we preach the Gospel to ourselves, where we've come from. C.S. Lewis said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. So the way that we love is 
When we're sinned against, we extend forgiveness. Why? Because God has first extended forgiveness to us. Forgiveness of sin. Sometimes, sometimes as we grow, we, we all have this tendency, sometimes we grow, we talk about forgiveness of sin like, oh yeah, forgiveness of sin. We just kind of gloss over it. This is a massive doctrine. This is an anchor in the Christian faith that we can't gloss over. It is one of the richest comforts, gifts the Lord can give you and me. So may we never forget it. We talk about September 11th when it come up, comes around and what we say, never forget May we never forget the forgiveness that we have in Christ Jesus. It changed our life for eternity, just like this young woman. I know this question, if I ask it, I know you know the answer. Did you know there's still Simons in the church today? And before we start looking and pointing fingers to others out there, we must first look to ourselves because we can all become Simons at some level, right? In my 25 years plus of ministry, one thing that I've seen is I have seen the self-righteous, pharisaical, legalist creep up in all of us and in me. And one of the sure signs of that is unforgiveness. Is the inability to forgive. Because I'm forgetting what Christ has done for me. And as soon as I start forgetting about what Christ has done for me, then I start becoming self-righteous. Ooh, look how big, look how good you are. Ooh, right? Don't be a Simon. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus and your forgiveness. May we never forget the forgiveness we have in Christ Jesus. But not only just look back and remember what Christ has done, but also rejoice. Worship. Have a joy, a thankfulness. That Remember, she looked, searched out. Where was Jesus? Where, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Oh, he's at the house. Let's go. And he, she rushes there to worship Him. When was the last time that was your motivation to come to church? Jesus is in the midst of His church, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1. Sunday gatherings like the whole church is coming together. Jesus is here. When's the last time that you were motivated by the forgiveness of Christ? Like, I can't wait to get to church. There's a reason why we say that Sunday's the best day. Because the church universal is gathering and worshiping the Lord. The joy, the thankfulness, the gratitude of Jesus for forgiving you and me of our sins. What an example we have from this woman this morning. So let us never forget that. Quickly, third, the scope of forgiveness. Look at verse, chapter 8 of verses 1 through 3. The scope of forgiveness. Soon after her, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. He's executing his mission. This is why he came to seek and save the lost. So he, 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 he leaves this dinner party and he goes throughout the cities proclaiming and bringing the good news. And he, and he gives us, Luke gives us the team that is with him. No, 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 this is noteworthy. Look at this. And the twelve were with him. Of course, we expect them to be. But look at verse 2. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infant infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, 
Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided them out of their means. So again, we, we know that Jesus has been going out, proclaiming, seeking, and saving the lost, and forgiving the debts. And of course, He forgave the twelve. His disciples are there. He's forgiven tax gatherers. He's forgiven hardened fishermen. He's forgiven Jewish terrorists. He's forgiven Gentile Roman centurions, doubting prophets, social outcasts such as lepers and prostitutes. And here, Luke, and in particular Luke and his writings, he highlights another group. Women. Women. In Luke's writings, in Luke and Acts, Luke does an incredible job of bringing women to the forefront, which in a culture back then, women were seen as second-class citizens. They weren't at the forefront. Yet Luke is elevating the women in Jesus' ministry. And again, it just shows Jesus is countercultural. He doesn't care about the cultural norms. He cares about biblical norms. And men and women have been created in the image of God, equal in worth, equal in value, but different in function. And he sees women and their abilities and the gifts that God has given them, empowered by the Holy Spirit, informed by His Word, to impact the kingdom of God just like men. And Jesus invites the women to join His entourage. Again, this is unheard of in Jesus' day and culture. Rabbis didn't have female disciples. In fact, you guys know that a woman's testimony in a court of law was, was invalid. They would never have a woman testify because the, the, the thought of the day is women are just hysterical. They're unreliable. Their emotions get... You can never trust a woman because they're, they're always too emotional. Now I see some of you ladies looking at me. I'm just the messenger, man. All right? I'm just the messenger. Trying to set the scene of the culture and seeing how Jesus is countercultural. And this is what's even amazing. You guys hear us talk about it at Easter. Jesus first reveals Himself in the resurrection to who first? Women. The first testimonies of Jesus being risen from the grave is through women. And even this one woman in here, Mary Magdalene. Jesus is countercultural. Jesus' Christianity doesn't oppress women, but brings liberation to women. Poor women, such as this sinful woman, Mary Magdalene. Rich women, such as this woman, Susanna, who provided for Jesus. She, she funded Jesus' ministry. Listen, the impact of women throughout the centuries in Christianity is incalculable. Beginning with these women that followed Jesus and beginning with every woman in here from the crossing. You guys have an incredible role to play in the growth of God's kingdom. The bottom line is that Christianity is the greatest proponent of who and what a woman can be and do past present, and future. Don't listen to the culture. we got Supreme Court justices that can't even answer what a woman is. Come to Jesus. He'll tell you what a woman is. He'll let you know your identity, your worth, your value, your strength, what it looks like to leave a legacy from Genesis, uh, from generations to come. Look to Jesus and embrace His grace. Embrace His forgiveness for your sins. Follow Him with a passion so that your love may grow and abound as you behold Him as your highest treasure. Listen, forgiven women who follow Jesus are a formidable force in building the kingdom of God. 
This is why Luke is highlighting this band of women that are going around with Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God, proclaiming the gospel. And ladies, moms, spiritual moms, the younger generation needs you. They need you to speak truth, gospel, love, forgiveness in their lives this morning because there's a culture out there that is saying the exact opposite of what Jesus says. And if we live it, our girls, our daughters, to the wisdom of the world, they're going to grow up confused and broken. But if they grow up knowing Jesus, they grow up knowing His forgiveness, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with for God's glory and for their joy. Amen? Amen. Well, again, we've answered this question the last three weeks. Who is Jesus? And today we highlight that He is the one who forgives sins. He cancels debts. So my prayer today, that everyone that walks out those doors, that they would hear the words of Jesus just like that woman heard in verse 50. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, thank You for the forgiveness of our sin. If you are not a gracious moneylender who forgives debts that we cannot pay with no strings attached, we would be in trouble. But in your economy, you are a gracious moneylender who is eager and loves to forgive our debts. You do that through repentance and faith. So may we all repent of our sin in here. And believe in Your Son, Jesus. Keep our eyes fixed on Him. And as we do that, may our love abound more and more and be expressed in us carrying the flag of forgiveness to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.